morning. Again, if you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. If, you, um, if you're visiting with us, then you want to know that we're working our way uh, through the book of Colossians in a series that we call Unparalleled. And I do have to just let you know that uh, on the front of your bulletin, if you're following along and paying attention, you'll notice that the title or the focus of today's sermon is actually on discernment, unparalleled discernment. Well, I changed that. Um, so it's not anyone else's fault other than mine. I take full responsibility. Um, uh, really, there's discernment involved, but as I've studied this, t- this text this morning, I really want us to focus this morning on, on the unparalleled fullness that comes from a walk with Jesus Christ. I, I hope that it will make sense to you as we make our way through. Um, Colossians chapter 2 is where we'll be. We'll be looking at verses 6 through really the, the balance of that chapter of Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to follow along if you're able. You can, if you don't have a mobile device where you can sort of Google it and follow along, you can also re- find the Pew Bible on the Pew back in front of you and can find this reading on page 954. 954. We'd love for you to join us there. This week I was in a conversation with, um, with a friend an acquaintance, really. And she, over the course of the last several months, uh, a few months ago, she lost her mother. And so through the course of conversation, I was just asking her how she was doing and how the holidays were, and she was kind of giving me an update on how she had been processing these, this new sort of season of life that she is in. And then I said to her, I said, how, how old was your mother? And she said, 81. I said, oh, okay. And then she said, well, she lived a full life. And I knew what she meant. That 81 is a, that's a pretty good number, but it's not 91. Um, and I knew the, the sort of sentiment that she had a, that an 80, good, 80, a good 81 years, that's what she had. And yet it got me thinking about how, how she was able to determine whether her mother had a full life. How, how do I determine whether or not I have a life that is full in the season of which I'm in? And How do you, how can we be those who know whether or not we are living a life that is full? And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is is concerned that the church in Colossae, that these people may understand what it is to live a life of fullness in Christ. For those who are following after Jesus, that Jesus has a life of fullness for us. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. And the Apostle Paul wants them to be able to live the life of fullness that Christ has made for them. And he begins, I would suggest, by laying the foundation for fullness. The foundation that every Christian has, including this, those who are in the church of Colossae, the foundation for fullness. It begins in verse 6. And he says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. The church, the people who were a part of the church at Colossae had received Jesus Christ as their Lord. This is almost like a summary statement that, that the Apostle Paul is making of the beginning of the chapter. We won't rehearse the beginning of the letter that Paul has been writing. But essentially, in, in the beginning of chapter 1, he gives thanks to God for this church because these people received the word of God, that he received the gospel of Jesus Christ as the very word of God. And he says they became 
they, they recognized Christ and they submitted to him as their Lord. And then he goes on to talk about the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is supreme over all creation. And this church believed these things and accepted this truth about who Jesus is. And he says, in a summary statement, as it were, you have received Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Because Jesus is your Lord, then continue to live in him. Be rooted in him. Allow your faith to flourish within him. And then allow your thanksgiving to overflow. This is a definition of the full life in Christ. But then he continues. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. But this is, this is fullness. This is the life in Christ for you. But be careful that no one takes you captive. The word there is that no one kidnaps you. Don't get kidnapped by those who will come along and tell you that there's something outside of Christ, there's something beyond Christ, there's something that you need to move beyond the elemental things of Christ onto something else. Because there will be some who will come along and say, yes, yes, Jesus is good, Jesus is fine, but there's these traditions that we need to recognize. There's these works that we need to do in order to really be truly spiritual and to really please God. There will be some who will come along and say, yes, Jesus is fantastic, that's really good, but let me tell you about this other spiritual reality that you can get to, this other place where you can go to really truly experience God. Don't allow those people to come and kidnap you because these things are saying, they're saying that your relationship with God depends on human tradition or your relationship with God is tapping into some deeper, truer spiritual reality. Don't get taken captive. Don't get kidnapped, he said. This week I was reading an article from teen, in Teen Vogue. I know, right? Because <laughs> I'm well-read. Uh, and it's a fascinating little article. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I get I don't have a subscription, just in case you're wondering. Because you'd be like, he's weird. I don't know. No, this article, and it was written by a high school, high school teacher. And it was an article saying how he tries to teach his high school students and middle school students how to be able to, ter to determine fake news. There's always been fake news. There's always been fake teachings, false teachings. How do we dis discern that? Well, he says he's, he has some ways for them, and particularly in this day of social media, to be able to say, now, because there have been a couple of different stories uh, in 2016 of these fake news stories that went viral, right, all throughout the, the Internet, and they were believed and imbibed by these students as being, being true, and in reality, they were just fake stories. And so he decided to take upon himself the tactics of being able to say, let me help you discern something that is false from something that is true. And that's what Paul is saying to this church and to, I believe, to us this morning. We need to be those who have the discernment. We need to be those who are practiced and making sure that we understand when a false teaching comes along. Something that takes us, that is something that's built on human tradition. Something that's talking about a super spirituality. Something that is taking away from the supremacy of the very foundation of Christ. 
That's what he's talking about. And then he continues and he says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone is the fullness of deity in bodily form. This is not the first time Paul has said this. He comes back to this. In Christ and in Christ's bodily form is the fullness of all of God. There is no other place that you should go in order to experience God and try to find the fullness of God. It is only in Christ and Christ in his bodily form. And you, being in Christ, have this fullness. You in Christ are in a position of fullness in him. So by implication, there's no need to go anywhere else. There's nowhere, there's nowhere else to go but to Christ because all the fullness is in him and he is the head over every power and over every authority. So if we are to have the fullness of life that Christ desires for us, then it is being united with him and being put in a position of fullness. So for those of you who are here this morning who know yourself to be outside of Christ, know yourself not to be a Christian this morning, then this is a fullness of what you cannot know unless you jo are joined with Christ, unless you are with him. And for those of you here this morning who are followers after Jesus Christ, then this is the position of fullness that you have been put because of you, you, are, you are united with Christ. When you came to follow after him, when you trusted in, in him, then you were joined into the very fullness of Christ. Paul goes on to illustrate that with two illustrations in verse 11. And following. And the two illustrations are circumcision and baptism. Let me read the verses and we'll look at them individually. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. But when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." So Paul says, you are in a position of fullness. I want you to understand, when you were joined with Christ, then the very fullness of God and the deity is now you are joined with him. And he says, let me illustrate that for you. And first he begins by circumcision. Circumcision was a Jewish custom that when it was a sign uh, given to the people of God that when the babies were born, when the Jewish babies were born, then on the eighth day they would be circumcised. And so they would be taken to the temple of where the baby boys would be circumcised. And when they were, this was a sign, this was an outward sign that they were born into the covenant community of God. You'll remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus, who had been born, Mary and Joseph, on the eighth day, took him to the temple where he was circumcised. And there, Simeon and Anna were, greeted him. And Simeon sang that wonderful uh, Simeon song where he says, my eyes have now seen the Lord. And he says, I can now go rest in peace because Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus was circumcised. It was a sign that was given by God. And, Jesus, and what Paul is saying is, when, G, when Jesus became your Lord, 
When you became a disciple of Jesus, when you became a follower of Jesus, you were circumcised, but it's a circumcision of the heart. It's a spiritual circumcision. You once, you once were living for your flesh. You once were just focused on your own sinful desires, and you were ruled by those things. But when Jesus became your Lord, you are now ruled by him, and your flesh has been cut away. The fleshly desires have been set aside. And now you are in Christ. And now you are under his rule and under his reign. And the, the old way of life for you has been cut away. You're with your fleshly desires. The flesh no longer rules and reigns over your life. You were once ruled and reigned by only your sinful desires, the, your, your natural state. But when you followed Jesus, you were, that was spiritually cut away in order that you might be able to follow after Jesus. You say, well, that sounds good. I understand that. But I still battle with my sin. I still see, I still see my sinful desires. I so how can this be? Well, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were in our fleshly desires, we had no option but to follow our fleshly desires. Put it this way. It was, we lived under the reign of our flesh. But when Christ came, he, he oversees all authority, all power. He nailed it to the cross. Therefore, saying that that power of sin that is over all people who are outside of Christ now is taking the place. Christ has taken the place of, of power in our life. And so while sin remains, it no longer reigns. We have a power that is within us because we are connected to the fullness of Christ in order that we might be able to overcome sin, in order that we might be able to make progress in our in the fullness of which God has called us to. He continues on, moving away from circumcision, where he actually kind of intertwines circumcision with another picture, which is a picture of baptism. A baptism, of course, is an outward sign of an inward transformation. It's going down into the water and coming out. You remember John the Baptist? He was one who would call people to a baptism of repentance where people would come and recognize themselves to be sinners. They would go into the water and John the Baptist said, do you repent of your sins? And he brought them down into the water and brought them back out, a sign. And then one day Jesus comes walking down into the water where John the Baptist was baptizing. And John says, no, I can't, I can't baptize you. Jesus says, no, you, you ought to baptize me. But John, of course, realized that Jesus had lived a life without sin. And this was, a, this was a baptism of repentance for sinners. Why would Jesus want Jesus, a man who didn't sin, now have a baptism for the, the sort of purification of sin? Why would he do such a thing? Well, Jesus did it not because he was a sinner. No, Jesus did it because he was identifying with the people who he came to save who were all sinners, every single one of us. And Jesus says, if you are going to be with me, if you're going to experience my fullness, then you must be baptized. He says, I am identifying with you, those who are sinners. I came to be with you. And then he came up out of the water. And you remember that this, the heavens opened up and the spirit came down and landed on him. And the father says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Right? He's identifying with those whom he came to save, which is you, which is me, which is all of humanity. He says, this is what happens when we died to ourselves, when we died to our sin, we were buried in our sin, and we were right, raised to new life in Christ. That's the picture of Christian baptism. But it's not just these two illustrations that he's saying this is where they've come from, but rather that circumcision and baptism, circumcision and baptism of Jesus were actually signs pointing to something greater. Jesus' circumcision where he was circumcised on the eighth day, 
was pointing to the point to the to the time when this same Christ would one day be hung on the cross and he would die and he would be cut off from the land of the living as Isaiah says the, the circumcision was pointing, it was pointing forward to the time when Jesus would be cut off from all, from all of the living in order that the sins of humanity might be covered by his death. His baptism, that Jesus was, Jesus was baptized not just to identify with us, but it was pointing forward to a greater baptism when Jesus would be baptized into the grave, when Jesus would be baptized into death, but he wouldn't stay dead, but rather would be alive on the third day and he would be raised to life. And so the same is with you and is pointing to you and me that we once were in our, de- in our sins and our trespasses, but we died with Christ and we too have been raised with Christ. And if you want to know the fullness of all that God has. It centers around this message and only this message. There is no other message to go to but this Christ who died for you and raised with you, who identifies with you. So now in him you have all of the fullness of all of the deity right there in front of you. Why would you go anywhere else? Why would you try to add something else? Don't you see the gloriousness of all that Christ has done for you, Paul says. There's no reason. This is the fullness that God has for you. This is the very foundation of the fullness of Christian life. So don't be deceived into thinking that there's something else, that these are just the elemental things of the faith or the elementary things of the faith. No, don't be deceived. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught that you may live lives overflowing with thanksgiving. Don't be deceived. You say, Pastor, okay, I understand that I'm in a position now of, of fullness, but I feel like I'm constantly fighting. I feel like I'm battling fullness. This, I understand. Because there is something that's fighting against our fullness. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Let's just pause there. The first battle, as it were, that fights against our fullness or drains our fullness is legalism. And that's what the Jews were doing to the Christians, to the church. There was pressure on the church, the Christians in Colossae, that Christ wasn't enough for them, that, the Jew, that there's all this history, this Jewish history, these Jewish traditions, these dietary laws, these festivals, these days of observance, these days of celebration, these special days. That if the Christians, these Christians were really going to follow after God, if they were really going to please him, then they needed to also observe all of these other things. Because that's how we're going to actually please God. There's all of these traditions. And Paul is saying that this is not, that you cannot allow the traditions of the Jews to intimidate you or to pressure you or to change you or you will not have the fullness that Christ has given to you in your life. Don't allow that to pressure you or to intimidate you, but rather resist those things that you might understand the fullness that God has for you. You know, we, our, our traditions are different. 
our historical traditions don't often have to do with new moon celebrations. But in our church, in our evangelicalism, we have a history of things where we say, this is, these are the things that we do. And we do this to ourselves all the time in the church. I remember distinctly when I was in high school, I had a great friend of mine. His name was Larry. He was a good friend of mine. He went to a different high school than me. And Larry was this type of Christian who was fantastic. He loved Jesus. He was on fire for Jesus. And he was the type of kid who would go to school and he would wear the t-shirts that say like God's gym or Jesus is amazing or something like that. I don't know what they all were. And I remember I, remember I had one of these t-shirts and I thought if I really love Jesus, then I'm gonna wear this to my secular high school. It's not like I went to a Christian school where it's like everybody goes, yeah, okay. It wasn't that way. I, I went to, a, I went to a, you know, a public school, which explains a lot of other things, but for the sake of the illustration, I thought if I really love Jesus, if I was really on fire like Larry for Jesus, then I have to wear the shirt. But I couldn't wear the shirt. I just, I just couldn't wear the shirt. Because I couldn't wear the shirt. And I felt as if I wasn't spiritual. Like Larry was spiritual. Like if, if I was really going to be a Christian, like, like what Christian kids are supposed to be in high school, that I got to wear the shirt. And I couldn't wear the shirt. I never wore the shirt. I think I used it as a towel for a wash a car. And I had to journey through in my own experience to be able to recognize that no... My standing with Christ has no, has no bearing on whether I wear the shirt or don't wear the shirt. It doesn't matter whether I, because that was his expression of his faith, but it couldn't be mine. And to apply those rules, and we do it all the time with one another. And when we do these things, it sucks the fullness of the life that Christ has bought for us out of, out of our faith and out of our journey. And we do it with music where we say, well, these are the true hymns of the faith, as if these other ones are somehow less satisfactory. Or we do it by saying, well, if you were really a follower of Jesus Christ, then you would listen to more Christian music rather than NPR, rather than all that other stuff. We, and we, we, we put these filters on one another. Or versions of the Bible. Or whether you can drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. And if you do, then you're, if you're a horrible Christian or, or not a Christian or a suspect. Or if you don't, then somehow you're more pious or more close, closely aligned with Jesus. We do it with our political views that some people say that if you're a Christian, you have to vote for Trump. And some say if you're a Christian, there's no way you can vote for Trump. And we apply these filters on one another. With our parenting styles, well, if you're really a Christian, you know you would put your kids in Christian schools because that's the way you really protect the future of the church and of our children and of these things. No, if you're really a Christian, you need to homeschool them. That way you can make sure that they are under the nurture. No, if you're really a Christian, then you, you let your kids out to the wolves. They're missionaries for Jesus. Who? What? And we look at each other. And we look down our noses at one another. Just when we, we get in our minivans and we drive away saying, I can't believe they send their kids to those schools, those places. And when so, all oh, the myriad of things, I could go on and on because I work here. I hear them all the time. Whether it's to church attendance or non-church attendance or the cars we drive or the houses we live in or the vacations we take or don't take and we judge one another's spirituality and their journey with Jesus based on external things. And Paul says this activity will rob you of the fullness that Christ has bought you. This will rob you. 
If you want the fullness of Jesus, then you must stop judging one another's heart conditions based on external things that have nothing to do with eternal realities. If you want the fullness of God, then you must stop judging one another one another's spiritual condition based on the external things that have no, no eternal value. And if you want the fullness that Christ has for you, then you must free yourselves from the burden that other don't allow yourself to be intimidated by a form of spirituality based on external things of whether you wear the t-shirt or not. Because our standing with Christ is built on the foundation for which Christ bought for us which is Christ and Christ alone. And if we don't do that hard work, and it is hard work, friends, I don't want to make light of the work of being able to say that we, of, of not judging one another based on external things. But it is hard work, but it is, if we're going to have the life of fullness, then we must fight that fight. We must work against that battle. The second thing is super spirit. So there's legalism. The second battle that sucks away the life and the fullness of Christ for us is this hyper-spiritualization. Verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen and they're puffed up with idle notions but they are, but by, uh, idle notions by their unspiritual mind. The Greeks and the Gentiles were pressuring the church not with legalism, but with a hyper-spirituality. That there, there was this, if, if they would talk about these visions that they would have seen of God, and there was this worship of angels or worship like angels, and they would talk and say, if you were really into God, then we wouldn't, you'd move beyond this Jesus thing into this other space. These visions, that, let me tell you about what I saw. Let me tell you about what God told me. And then they tell it. <laughs> and this is, this is as common today as it has ever been. Especially there are some of our charismatic brothers and sisters for whom this is of great concern. But it's not as if we don't have it here. That's why some of you, get, that's why some of you wouldn't, can't even get close to a small group Bible study because you say, I can't, I can't stomach it anymore. Because quite frankly, I go into those places and everybody has these wonderful quiet times and we share about what the Lord is doing and I'm listening to all these amazing things that God is doing and God is doing nothing in my life. And so therefore I have nothing to share and I have to make it up if I'm gonna say a thing. This is somehow God has, somehow God has spoken to me. And, and, and yet we listen to people that apparently live in an alternate universe from us because the realities of our daily life don't seem to be the realities of their daily life because they're always able to get up at five in the morning. They always have an amazing quiet time with the Lord and they're always out here on some spiritual cloud nine because they're seeing the Lord do all these amazing things. And you said, I can't even see because I haven't had coffee. Like, I don't, I don't even understand. And we... And, and, and we and we always, and there's people that walk around, well, God, uh, I had a word from the Lord today. Let me tell you what God told me. And this hyper-spiritualization that seems to be divorced from reality. And if we're not careful that this idea of this, of feeling like we have to have this form of, of Christianity is actually divorced from the reality of Christ and the fullness of Christ because we walk in saying, well, uh, everything is great and grand and wonderful with me and with God. And if we're not careful, then we feel like we're full of God and in reality, it's a false humility that is full of idle notions and an unspiritual mind that is really just rooted in pride you, so that you can show all the other church folks in your small group how God has met with you when in reality, you're, no, you're, you're nowhere near God and what he has for you. It's just a false humility. It's devoid of the one who you claim to know. 
and it'll suck out the, the fullness that Christ has for us and has for you. It's a battle for us to be able to say we have a foundation for fullness. We're in a position for fullness, and yet we, we live in reality of, of one side going off and, and judging one another by rules and regulations, and another side being able to say, look at all this, so it's over super hyper-spiritualization, and we can go off on either side at any moment. Well, how do we find this fullness? How do we discern these things? Verse 19 they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on mere human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in, rest in restraining sensual indulgence. Quickly, before our time is gone, four things, four suggestions for you. This isn't everything there is to be said to finding fullness in God, but I think it may help us. First is this. First is to embrace freedom. Embrace freedom. Your standing with Jesus is not based on your behavior. Do you understand that? Your standing before God, having a right standing before God, is not based on your behavior. Your right standing before God is based on Christ and what he has done for you in your place. Not, or to put it this way, if you want to put it in theological terms, your justification, being justified before God, is not determined by your sanctification. You're, you're working out but rather your sanctification, the living of your life, being sanctified, being more like Christ, is based on your justification. Or put differently, why do you do the things you do? If you do spiritual things, if you do Jesus things, if you do church things in order to earn the favor of God, then you've got it backwards. You've got it all turned around. We do not do church things and spiritual things and good things in order to earn God's favor. We have God's favor because of Christ. He has justified us and we stand saved and holy and righteous in him. And so therefore we go do good things. It is from that place that we have the fullness and power, not the other way around. So you need to embrace that. We need to allow that to sink into the very core of who we are as Christian people. This idea that we are or that we do all of these things not in order to earn God's smile, but God smiles on us because of Christ, and so therefore we live out of that smile. When I was in college, I remember first going to college because when I was in high school, it's different than how a lot of high school students experience high school these days. You had to stay in the same building all day long, and then for me, there was like this, you know, Nazi guard at the parking lot in order to making sure that if anybody was going to leave or you were going to die with, with blood, you know, this is how it worked out at my high school. Um, so then going to college and realizing that at like 11 in the morning, I didn't have to necessarily be in any space. Like I could, I could just... I could just be like I and, and it was okay like it was it was legal like I wasn't gonna shed blood over this this is fantastic and this this burden that was just so lifted from me because of the new freedom that I found it was just like life had a new step to it it was just fantastic 
And maybe that's what needs to happen for you because you've been under the burden and under the weight of all these regulations and restrictions that you thought somehow earned you favor with God. But in reality, your favor with God is only in Christ. Has that really sunk into the very core of your being? And if it has, then maybe for the first time you get to go to a place where you've never gone. You get to do some things that you've never done. And all the while doing these things, knowing that you are under the smile of Christ. Because your, because your, your standing with him is not based on your doing. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So lighten up. So lighten up. You say, well, isn't that going into license? No. It's embracing freedom. It's embracing the freedom that Christ bought for you. If we are going to have the full life that Christ bought for us, then we must embrace the freedom in a very real way that Christ has given to you. Second is this, extend grace. Paul said in another letter, in the letter to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 2, he says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling, no. It is you have been saved. You are in a in right position with God because of Christ. Now, work that out with fear and trembling. Work that out in every aspect of your life. Allow the gospel to actually go and permeate every single aspect of all of your life. Work that out with fear and trembling. And what this means is that with the way that I work out my salvation with fear and trembling and the way you do will probably look different because we're different people. And so therefore, if I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling and embracing the freedom that Christ has given me, and I'm allowing you to do the same thing, then we need to give one another space and we need to extend one another grace because God's journey for you and God's journey for me and God's journey for another Christian that goes to a different church will look different than ours because God is a creative God and he knows what he's doing and we need to allow him to do what he does with his people. And we need to extend grace to one another. We need to work these things out. Because is it possible that someone's working out of faith means for them that they actually go to the Minneapolis airport and actually stand with the refugees who are coming home? And for some of you, there's no place further from your Christian spiritual journey than that spot for you. And both can be okay. Both can actually be, can we have enough space in the church of Jesus Christ to allow people to work out their faith without judging them and without flying around on Facebook and saying a whole bunch of judgy things? Because we're taking away from the very fullness that God has for you. And there's a million examples, that's just one, of how we need to allow space for God to work in the hearts of his people because God is making them into his image and we're all gone a different journey and we need to extend grace to one another as we all seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to embrace the freedom that we have in Christ. We need to extend grace to those who are growing in Christ. Thirdly, if we're to understand the fullness of the Christian life that God has for us, then we need to listen well. We need to listen well. Fullness in Jesus will require us to listen well to how Jesus has met other people and how Jesus is actually working in the lives of other people. That people that you wouldn't, that, you, that maybe you would never have listened to before. 
you now need to listen. You need to you make an effort to sit and to listen well, to hear how God is at work, because what will happen is it will expand your view of God's grace, of how he works to save humanity. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I received this. It's a card. It's to you. It's to us. Let me read you part of the note that came with it. Brothers and sisters at Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church, we are writing to you to encourage you to do the work you are doing in your community and to spur you on to love and good works, which God's, is God's will for us. You do not know us, but God made us one family by his grace. We are men currently incarcerated at the Lionel Lakes Correctional Facility and participating in the Interchange Freedom Initiative program here. God has blessed us with a program and a place while here in prison, to learn more about him, ourselves, and how to live a life that honors and glorifies him. Because of this opportunity and the grace we've been given in our small group, we wanted to reach out to you to remind you of our Savior's love for you and to encourage you to press on into him and, he will, and his will for you this year. How about that? How about guys in a correctional facility praying for you? How about this, that, that they op you open this up? And it's all about God's blessing. You can read it yourselves. May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine. And we have men every week that are going in and listening to the stories of these men that most of all of society has written off. We need to allow ourselves to listen well in order that we might be able to marvel at this amazing God of grace that we serve. And finally this, act in faith. If we want the fullness of God, the fullness of the life that he has for us, then do something out of an act of faith for Jesus. And when we do something motivated by faith in Jesus, it will expand our fullness. It doesn't have to, you can't do everything. I was in a conversation with a friend of mine and she said that she was going down to volunteer with Arrive Ministries. You may be familiar with Arrive Ministries. They help settle refugees. And she said, I said, oh, well, when did you start doing that? She's like, when all of the governors were saying, were trying to decide whether or not they would allow refugees into their states or not allow them into their states. She said, as far as I could tell, Jesus came for the lost and the lonely and left out. And, and, and I wanted, to, and these refugees are part of those people. And so therefore I wanted to do something. She's like, I can't do everything, but I wanted to do something. And so she says, so I, now I go and I fold clothes, which are donations for the refugees. And that's an act of faith for her saying, because of Jesus, because of who he is for me, and she's experiencing a fullness with Christ because she's taken a step of faith for Christ. If we want to know this Christ, if we want to know this fullness, then we need to be those people that embrace the freedom, that we need to be those people who find ourselves uh, extending grace to one another, listening well to one another, and acting out even in small acts of faith for one another and we'll experience a fullness of Christ that we haven't otherwise known. There's nothing greater that I want for you as our church family is for us to experience the fullness of Christ. That's why we, that's why we do what we do. May God so help us to experience him in deeper and richer ways. Father, we thank you that you are at work. We thank you that we are in a position in Christ and only in Christ where we can know that our Standing with you is not based on our acts. And yet, Father, from that place, 
Will you help us to be able to go live a life of love? Will you help us to listen? Will you help us to extend grace? And will you help us to enjoy the freedom of, of a walk and a journey with you? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.